0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the new book seminar. I'm Felipe Santos, and today we're going to talk about what I believe is one of the biggest challenges of our current information society, which is the democratization of knowledge and how to make information accessible to as many people as possible. So, for this, I'm going to be speaking to an old friend of the book, New Books Network, who is Professor Austin Choi Fitzpatrick from the University of San Diego and the University of Nottingham, who is currently working on uh, his new book, The Good Drone, that is going to be published with MIT University Press. And that is going through a very interesting uh, review process that is open for everyone to contribute. And it's also going to be open access since the first day. Austin, welcome back to the New Books Network.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me back. I appreciate it.
0: So, um, in your book, The Good Drone, you basically speak about um, democratizing the sky and also democratizing surveillance. But with this book, you're also making lots of efforts. So you contribute to democratizing knowledge as well. Um, can you tell us a bit about how you're doing this?
1: Yeah, thanks for thanks for asking. I'm excited about this process. Um, I guess maybe the, the germ, the seed, the yeast for this idea first came when I I was working on a chapter and I was thinking about you know as you've said democratizing the sky and I was thinking of like what are the metaphors we use for the sky, so I so I did what I did with several sections of this book is I crowdsourced it you know I, I I rely rely on Wikipedia like lots of other academics do but don't don't mention this but I also went on Twitter and Facebook and I asked my networks hey like you know what are metaphors for the sky and people gave me all these rich ideas and I used them in the book sort of like, oh, you know, like democratizing the, the data gathering process by asking questions on Twitter, asking questions on Facebook. And then I wrote the book, though, largely in this like cloistered environment. I sit in my office and I write and I get these long stretches of time to myself and I produce this knowledge and then it goes out to peer review and it comes back and I make some changes I get a book contract. Um, And that but that process is really a, a fairly solitary, solitary process of writing a book, even though I did, you know, ask people for their advice online. So I thought, how can I actually like make this book in terms of its output and its process as open as possible? Because I think that one of the wonderful and amazing things about new technology, something you write about in the book, is that it democratizes um, lots of the stuff it touches or it creates the opportunity to democratize these spaces it doesn't always we have to like act on purpose in order for these things to be uh, to have pro-social processes and and ends so what I've done to answer your question is I've opened the book up to an open review process with the group called pubPub which is a subsidiary of MIT press and this allows anybody in the world to go to do essentially a peer-to-peer review of my book if you've got internet connection you can see This, you can see the um, contracted copy of this peer reviewed um, book uh, monograph and then comment on it and help me make it better. And then, when the whole thing gets bound, printed, shipped, sent to Amazon, you can buy a hardcover of the book on Amazon. You can also buy a, a Kindle copy on Amazon, but you can go and download a free PDF that's the final. Um, sort of pressed version just like the the EPUB version of the book, again, from MIT Press. So there are these two different steps, right? The open... The sort of the open review process, and then and then you know months and months later, the open sort of the open access product, which is the book itself. And so I'm trying to do both of those things. I think I'd love to hear from from listeners. I've been sleuthing around and, and texting my you know my agent and my my editors at, at both at the presses that I published with in the past and asked, does anybody know of anyone who's done this before? And I I think Duncan Green may have done this. Um, with his book called How Change Happens with Oxford University Press. I think he solicited feedback from the community. And then the book came out as a hardcover and a free PDF, I think. Um, but I don't know of anyone else who's done this. So I'd love to hear from listeners. Um, drop me an email.
0: Wow, that's that's uh, pretty cool. I'm actually also, so I think I guess that I'm also the first person who interviews, the first person uh, who did this process, like both things at the same time. Um so let's like uh, let us go one by one if you agree because uh, I'm very interested in in both parts of this process. Um, so let's start by uh, this massive online peer review. Um, so how how does this work?
1: So this is a pretty straightforward. Um, well, I said it's pretty straightforward, but it's also in its infancy. Um, this was this approach was developed by in a, in a couple of different places, I think, relatively simultaneously. Um, Matt uh, Salganik, who is now at Princeton, did this with his book Bit by Bit, and he developed something called the Hypothesis software platform, which is on GitHub, and you can download it. So he did it with his book. I'm doing it with a platform um, that was actually developed by Travis Rich at MIT. It was part of his dissertation, and it went on to become a sort of uh, software as service called PubPub, and PubPub is is housed at MIT. So When I first thought about doing this, I thought, I want to do this massive online peer review. I want to to get as many additional voices into the review process as possible. Um, I think that would increase the diversity of of feedback that I get, increase the diversity of voices that actually have have taken a look at the pre-press version. I get some of this, maybe some of the slings and arrows before, it. you know, I like to see this stuff before it goes to press rather than when it's actually in book review form, you know? So I thought this is a great opportunity to see that stuff. And there's a couple of different platforms. I, I had uh, emailed uh, Matt Saganik and asked him. I thought that the PubPub thing was really cool. And when the book actually, came, you know, when it became clear that the book was going to be with MIT Press and they offered me a contract, that's when I thought, okay, so PubPub is, is the clearest sort of solution. I think it's the only uh, in-house, publisher-supported open review process platform out there. Um, You can go to GitHub and get the PubHub software. You can go to GitHub and get... um, and get the uh, the hypothesis software and do it yourself. But PubPub and MIT, I think are the only folks who are doing this sort of in-house. So that made it super duper easy to do because I actually just took my Word document um, with the images and the tables and the footnotes and everything and just emailed it to the PubPub team. And the PubPub team took it from there and loaded it into what looks to me, I'm, probably it's not. I don't know. I'm not a tech person, but looks to me just like a straight up website. So I don't know if it's HTML or what. Um, but it was. It so far it's been a it, for them. I think it was a cut and paste and then fiddling with bits back end. And from my experience, I log in and I'm working on multiple versions of the book manuscript while people are commenting in real time um, on the public facing public facing end of this, and uh, it allows people to to make comments it's not like wikipedia you can't like go through and edit my and edit my manuscript but you can actually go in and make comments where you think changes would be would be uh, uh, appropriate or i guess you could tell me that you like love some stretch of writing i guess i'm I'm still waiting to hear somebody say that but you know (laughs) but that's that's the way that it works
0: from from your side, so when you when you sent uh, your manuscript to to MIT Press, did it go through a traditional peer review process like this double blinded and like two or three people comment, or they just send it directly to this uh, massive online peer review platform?
1: Oh no, I felt all the pain. I felt all the pain. <laughs> it went through. It went through, um, you know, early conversations with an editor, um, Kirsten Foote at University of Washington, editor, or a, a series editor who then shared it with, who then told me to make some changes. I made changes, shared shared the draft with her team. That team asked me to make some changes. I put together a full proposal that led to more conversations. It went, you know, a manuscript went to a peer review. That peer review came back with changes. I made those changes. It went out for peer review again. It went to the, you know, from there to the editor at MIT, the editor at MIT took it to MIT's board, MIT's board. I mean, blah, blah, blah. The point is this went through the exact same peer review process or sort of solo authored academic monograph, um, you know, life in a university press world process as it would have if it had just come out We had gone through the traditional process and then come out as a hardcover book on you know wherever you you buy books. So the only thing that's different is it's coming out in these. It is going through this additional step in terms of peer-to-peer review and then an additional um, sort of. version of the final book, which is open access, but everything else, I mean, like if my tenure committee is listening, it's all super duper copacetic, normal, and the same as you'd expect if you go through a university press process with it, you know, with any other monograph.
0: Okay. And um, that's, that's making me think if you're going through uh, the traditional uh, peer review process, and then, uh, you do the uh, opening of your book to to the community in a massive online peer review process um, what is the added value of uh, this this last stage
1: you know uh, I'll be I'll be frank with you i I don't know the answer to that um, I can tell you what I wish what I wish is that um, more more resources perspectives opportunities for um, cleaner writing emerge from this process. I want my work to be read broadly, and I want it to have an impact in terms of you know public public policy and the way that people that people think about the world. That's why I got into the academic racket in the first place. That sentence I made, though, well, and I want to be read broadly, that's what every academic wants. We all want that. And yet we oftentimes have writing that's that's uh, burdened by jargon. It's sometimes clunky. We sometimes spend more time thinking about whether or not we've got our citations right, which is critical and important, than whether or not our, our larger argument can be uh, understood by a broader audience than the folks who are citing and getting our sightings right. So I'm, I'm interested in, in playing the academic game up to a certain point, but not at the point where it loses the public, because I think that academics are a public service and what we're doing, it should be, you know, helping, um, societies do critical, heavy, you know, so, so critical thinking about matters of the day. So what I'd love the answer is I'd love it if essentially more people chime in around, our work and say, you know, this point could be clearer. Also, I think you're missing some important voices. The fact is that academia has been a cloistered um, feedback loop for long enough. And it's only recently that we're starting to ask questions about whose voices are left out when we as the academy talk about we, the people. And I think this is a fun, you know, op- I, I would love, I mean, this is like me on a soapbox, but I would love it if the going through a, a peer-to-peer, op- you know, sort of massive online peer review increases this sort of... Democratic voicedness, or you know, or polyvocality, or however you want to think of it, of the documents that people like me, a white dude, um, are writing for 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 the community and and for uh, an open society.
0: Okay, and in addition to this. Uh... Innovative way of, of reviewing your book, this massive online peer review process. Which, by the way, uh, anyone who wants to contribute to it and to review Austin's book uh, can go to the uh, new books New Books Network uh, site, where we have the podcast, and you'll find a link uh, in the introductory text to to that one. Um, so, but in addition to to this, your book your book is also going to be open access. So, goes um, what does this mean in, in practical terms? Uh, so, is it is it going to be uh, just online, or is there going to be also a hard copy of the book? Uh, so, how 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 is it going to look like?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So, this is a so the. We're talking about the um, online peer review process being free, and MIT already has PubPub in-house. If I'd known how to fiddle with HTML, I could have just gone and downloaded the Hypothesis software from GitHub and, and done that. The open access conversation, as all of your listeners um, already know, is a complicated one, and there's large vested interests in the in the form of for-profit um, sort of aggregators of academic journals. And there is a big debate about, like, if we go to open access, who pays for the, that overhead? And we know that Elsevier makes more money um, in terms of profits than Facebook. So we've got a really complicated conversation about open access. So I want to emphasize that, that I think for the purpose of this conversation, um, I'm talking about open access opportunities for you know, solo authored academic monographs. I mean, the kind of book that we're talking, that we're talking about right now, this, this book of mine. Um, and so I think that it's a tough nut to, cr- tougher nut to crack in my mind with journals, because there's so many different stakeholders. But when it comes to open access for the, for a academic monograph, who are the actors in this, in this space, right? Um, uh, it's university presses, it's university of Chicago press, you know, you know, MIT university press, it's, Pen. It's these universities that are uh, that have publisher publishing houses that are nonprofits. So they are not in. They're in this game to break even, but I don't think they're in this game to you know sell tens of thousands of copies. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't be publishing the work of most academics. And so they're in this actually to 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 spread knowledge. I, I honestly believe. Um, and I'm in the business of spreading knowledge. So why wouldn't we take this open access? There's resonance there, I think, between lots of presses and lots of authors. The question is, what's the business model? And so, I think, really practically, your question is like, okay, how'd that happen? In my mind, it's the alignment of stars around talking about about open, sort of open access. But also, it's the alignment of some economic, you know, it's the alignment of stars and it's the alignment of resources because we need to find some business models for actually underwriting the costs of open access that's that's a sticky wicket it's a larger conversation we can talk more about it if you want what I did is I went around on my campus and I'm fortunate to work at the University of San Diego um, with sort of forward-looking people who are interested in and willing to underwrite innovative you know efforts at change making which is the way that we think of things here at this campus and so I went to my Dean I went to my Provost I went to the Dean of the library um, and I essentially passed the hat and said, I think this is a really cool um, way of thinking about what we should be doing as a community, what our campus should be doing. It's I, I think that open societies need open knowledge. What do you think? And they were kind enough to support this. So I love that support that I got. The bigger question is, how do we then take that Kind of process and replicate it at scale, and that's where I'm, I'm like still part, of, you know, part of these larger conversations and, and asking this question myself, and part of you know groups of folks on my own campus that are asking this question. So one approach is to say, individuals who want to go open access can go and get the subvention, which is in my case was fifteen thousand dollars to underwrite the to offset the cost of of a book. University Press books cost something like 20 to $30,000 depending on how great or not so great your cover art is and whether you get a copy editor or who does your indexing, all that sort of stuff sort of piles onto this overhead cost plus just the you know, operation fees and overhead for a University Press. So the question is, if a, if a book comes out as a free PDF, then does it sink your, your sales? Uh, we don't really know. We don't have a lot of data on that. We have some anecdotal data here and there, but not, we don't, we, this hasn't been tried often enough to know. So I'm hoping to run a small experiment between this book and my last book, see if, if sales are actually hurt in, the, in this round. Um, and so I think gathering information like that is important, but then eventually it can't be all these one-off approaches where one person like me runs around and passes the hat to my, to my provost and to my dean and to the dean of the library. Um, but instead where we have systemic approaches that actually work on democratizing knowledge for everybody, um, and by everybody I mean for, for authors. So I know that the UK has headed this direction um, in terms of requiring, as part of the REF, the Research Excellence Framework, requiring authors to submit um, in a repository a pre-press version of their publications um, in, in, before the upcoming ref in 2021. And then by the time the next ref hap- happens, the ref is a huge like s- like nationwide audit of academic productivity. Uh, Brits hate it. Um, but what it what it does, it gives, it gives the government an opportunity to say something like by 2028, everybody who publishes a book in the UK or an article in the UK has to have an OA version of this. So it's freely downloadable by anybody with the internet connection. So one way to do it is to pass the hat on campus. That's my story. Another way to do it is if you're a four forward-thinking, you know, sort of um, uh, legislator to the, actually pass this as a law. The National Science Foundation should say, if you get money from us, your data should be freely available to everybody and you should publish in an open access environment so anyone with internet access can benefit from the fruits of your labor. So that's my, my uh, personal my personal answer and then my aspirational sort of like national ambition or, or vision.
0: As far as I see this, uh, the incentives about restricting access to a book to those who pay only are are pretty clear right so like I mean it, it, it's used to, to cover the cost of, of publication authors make some money even not so much uh, it also it seems more prestigious if people pay for for your book uh, and it's it's also basically the way things work so I mean that you, you don't give much thought to it uh, and you just do it um, so let's go uh, through the incentives that you see in uh, this alternative model of, uh, of accessing your book. So like what, what are the incentives of, uh, having your book on open access?
1: Okay. So the, so it's something you just mentioned, I think is, is true and bears repeating. Um, I do not live in a world in which I expect either practically or philosophically to make lots of money on the books that I write. And so I'm an academic. I'm compensated by my universities um, for the work that I do to teach, do research, write, um, and engage the public. Uh, and so these are things that I'm, I'm paid for already. So I don't actually have uh, the drive that, let's say, a writer does whose job it is to write. I don't have the same drive to, to essentially monetize or to secure a return on investment for the books that I write. I want my books to go into circulation. I want them to get read. I want them to get cited. I want them to get turned into um, actionable public policy. I want them to get used in Uh, like more broadly in society to help people change their minds. I mean, this, I mean, I think that that's the laundry list for, I'm a sociologist by training. I think that's a laundry list for every sociologist. I mean, when I went to grad school, I was like, I'm going to be a scholar activist and I want to like bridge the academy and bridge society in ways that are actually like transformative for both, blah, blah, blah. That's turns out to be really, really hard to do if one is attending to either the work on the ground of activism or if one is actually attending to one, you know, curating one's citational arc, for example, in terms of who you reference as an academic author. So the question is like, how do we bridge these two worlds and how do we actually try to do multiple things, you know, sort of two things at the same time? And I think that at the end of the day, authors are, you know, we're writing this stuff so we can get read. We want to get read and respected by our academic peers. Absolutely. But we all, I, I, and I think, you know, more folks than we, than a surprising number, a surprisingly high number, especially of sociologists also want to get read in, in in broader communities, it's absolutely true for for economists. Absolutely true um, for folks in the public policy world. It's certainly true in political science across the social sciences. People are doing this work because they see things about the world that they like to draw attention to and 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 contribute to the process of changing. So, long answer is short. I want like people to read this work. I want it to get cited and seen and passed around. And there's it's hard to do that if this is a Fifty or seventy or a hundred dollar book in a library somewhere. It's easier to do that if it's a free PDF that you can link to and say, "There's some ideas here. Check it out." People look at it, and what they do next is, you know, as anybody who's had their book reviewed knows, whatever happens next is completely out of our hands. But I love the process. I love the idea that that universities are like sort of the, the approving ground for new ideas or a um, the, the place where open society does, does its critical thinking. Uh, this is not just academics who do this. Artists, poets, prophets all do the same thing. Um, but we're no good in the circulatory system of democracy, for example, if we're, uh, if we're not able to feed this knowledge into the process. And so, I mean, a PDF, is there a cleaner way to, to circulate than a PDF? Um, yeah, maybe I'll make a viral video too. And, and then uh, or, you know, make a video and hope it goes viral. I don't know. But yeah, I want this stuff to get seen.
0: Then uh, picking on this thing that you you said that you, you want your work to be read by by a wider community than the one that uh, generally reads uh, academic books, and you're trying to do that by making it easily accessible and also by allowing uh, the community to even contribute to the production of the book. Uh, but then we both know that you know there there are other barriers to accessing academic knowledge that they are not only about about money right so uh generally academic books are very jargony uh, which is not accessible for for most people also they are uh discussed generally in closed circles uh what you know people generally call the academic ivory tower so how how to deal with these other uh barriers
1: that's a great question um I think there's two i've I've had two general approaches um one is To take the, I mean, I want to be clear about something. The university world and academic knowledge and the republic of letters and the space where I'm arguing open societies do their thinking, the university. These are important places where the conversations we have are not all um, necessarily for for public consumption. And my argument is not that everything that happens in the academy should be. Uh, instantly legible to the average you know, voter or consumer or citizen or community member. Uh, I, I think there is an absolute role for highly specialized knowledge that is really understandable to, and, and, and moves the needle and makes a difference within a very particular community that is trying to solve a very particular kind of puzzle at a very high level of fidelity um, and, and or to answer particular research, sticky research questions that haven't, we haven't been able to answer so far. That kind of like insider conversation using shorthand in order to more efficiently solve, uh, you know, sort of solve problems within the academy, I respect deeply. And actually, that's the literature I, I read and draw on and in some cases contribute to. My argument is that we can't stop there. We either need to come alongside translators who help us to push that knowledge out into the public, or we need to do some of that translation ourselves. So the, the punchline here is not we should we should um, turn everything turn all of our writing into something that that the you know the average the average reader in the public could read. It's that we should always be sure that the knowledge we're producing benefits those folks and has some modality uh, through which it can be interpreted by broader communities. So. Well, you know the de-jargon version of that is: um, whenever I write an academic article or a a, a university press-style book, I do my best to then have spin-off pieces that are on, in the form of like Twitter blogs or doing a you know a short, when my last book, What Slaveholders Think, came out. Uh, last year, a year and a half ago, I wrote um, a piece in The Guardian um, and I, you know, I wrote in Aeon, a couple of pieces that sort of just more publicly made the argument that I was making in the book. For this book itself, The the, um, the Good Drone Project, I've written in Al Jazeera with with graduate student co-authors. I've written in a number of like public, you know, write for Slate. So I've tried to actually translate out stuff that might be kind of, you know, um, insider, technical jargon or technical writing or technical thinking in the book and translate that out so the point here isn't we should smooth off all the point is we should smooth off the rough edges not that there should be no cr- truly challenging and critical um aspects to our to our writing
0: okay and based on your uh, based on your experience um do you have any suggestions for other authors that might want to follow your path in making their uh, academic production more accessible for everyone, and also having the input from the wider community.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, just on taking the note, taking the the theme I was just on, I think that this this has been a best practice that has served me well so far, which is when I write an, when I write a peer reviewed piece, also writing a. A popular and non-paywalled piece. I mean, that's another important part of this I didn't mention. Is our academic work, in addition to being hidden behind jargon, also gets locked behind paywalls? And those are both those are two barriers to sort of equal access to knowledge that are problematic. Um, and so I think it's 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 uh, a be, I think a best practice and a low cost best practice to start trying one's hand at writing a like get a get a medium account and start writing on the the internet you know platform medium a short piece that explains what you you know the the academic piece um i'm also mobilizing ideas at the the university of notre dame um where i did my phd they have a they have a public facing social movements kind of platform where people can write about you know, sort of technical areas of expertise in a way that's publicly accessible and hopefully useful to to activists and also to sort of the too long didn't read version of things for academics and and, and students interested in social movements and social change. So you know, blog. So so what's the answer? Blogs, any sort of public facing space where we get to exercise and try out and limber up for um, public translation and engagement. I think that's uh, those are the the low hanging fruit, and then I think demonstrating capacity there then makes it a no-brainer in some cases for university presses i think to try out these sorts of approaches now Sorry, one quick thing. The open access thing, I think, is also tremendously important for areas in the humanities that might not be getting the sort of like resources that they that they um, were accustomed to getting in the past. And so, I think there's, I'm I'm talking about public engagement, but I also think there's open access is great where a press might not might have passed on an area of of overly particular you know overly particular historical you know case study or a very narrow body of knowledge. And, and passes on it because it's not going to sell enough hard copy, well then let's do this as open access and take these things to a, sort of a print-on-demand open access approach. This too would democratize not just sort of public-facing, publicly-engageable knowledge, but also increasingly detailed, specific and um and uh, and uh like like scholarship for scholarship's sake sort of pieces that might be getting overlooked because publishers and editors and the marketing team just don't see a path to market uh for for a hardcover for you know for a print copy of the book so i think open access works both in that public facing and in that university ivory tower focused sort of way as well
0: okay so austin i think that uh that's all from my side but um Given the philosophy of uh, behind our interview, I would also like to encourage uh, all our listeners to chipping into this debate uh, and uh, joining our conversation through Twitter, through Facebook, and through other uh, social media platforms where the New Books Network is present. Uh, so, Austin, thank you so much for your time. Um, I. Uh, Wish you the best with the book. And I hope that uh, we'll have the chance to talk to you soon when uh, the book is finally published.
1: Awesome. I can't wait. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it.